Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. A couple people sent me a story from thehill.com, and it's an opinion piece, but it's written by an attorney who's working on a case, and he thinks that people should hear about this case, and I agree. Headline, Montana Mountain Man Goes to Court to Protect His Property Rights. And so, you know, this is the attorney talking about his client, but uh, the man lives in Montana. And if you asked him, he'd admit he's a bit of a throwback. Uh, He grew up in West Virginia. He says his mom used to tell him, you were born 100 years too late, boy. (laughs) It's an apt description of the self-described mountain man. He calls himself a mountain man. Now, he is a dedicated practitioner of traditional crafts such as stonemasonry, blacksmithing, and timber framing, which he calls the forgotten arts. He has old school ideas about patriotism and service which led him to enlist in the military during Vietnam. And he is an ardent conservationist. He's committed to a traditional ethical code of honor under which when making an agreement, you keep your word and you do what you say you're going to do. I suspect with this man, a handshake is better than a contract with a corporation. I'm just, I'm just guessing that. So it's this last commitment about keeping your word that has gotten the man into a legal dispute where he's fighting the U.S. Forest Service. And this is over an access road that runs through this man's property. Okay? So the man who owns the property says that by allowing public access to the road, the Forest Service has broken its word. And so now he's fighting them in federal court in an attempt to get the bureaucrats to be held accountable for what they ought to be doing. So he's called Montana his home for 40 years, 40 years. He bought his property just over nine acres, which are adjacent to a national forest in 2004. When he bought the property, it uh, corresponded to a vision of what he'd always wanted to have. It's surrounded by pine trees. It's got birds. It's got wildlife. He said, I've always had a desire, always had in my mind this picture-perfect place where I'm living on the valley floor, and I look across, and I see the mountain ridges. And then up above all of it is a snow-capped granite mountain peak. That's just my ideal of the perfect place to live, and that is exactly where I live. I can walk out in my front yard, and I can look to the northwest, and right there is Trapper Peak with a 10,000-foot snow-capped mountain peak. And then in front of you, you have the rolling hills, and it comes right on down to the river. And it sounds beautiful. Heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. Outside his front door sits Robbins Gulch Road, however, built and maintained by the U.S. Forest Service, which was the result of a limited easement granted to the Forest Service by the property's previous owners back in 1962. So back in 1962, long before this man bought the property, the owners of it granted the Forest Service an easement to run a road across the property. And the question is, did the easement have restrictions? Did it say, here's what the easement can be used for and what it cannot be used for? Because if it's got restrictions, then you can only use it for the purposes that are described in the easement. That agreement permitted the Forest Service to build and maintain an unpaved access road through the private property, which is now owned by the man in the story. And his few neighbors apparently own property nearby, and so it, it, it affects a few of them. And that forest, uh, uh, the road then runs into the National Forest, and it was there primarily for the purpose of timber harvesting and general maintenance. So the Forest Service could obviously use it to get in and out of the forest for maintenance. 
And timber harvesting, when allowable, apparently could also be done by people who could cross that road to go harvest timber. But as you can imagine, although the trucks carrying the timber might be burdensome, uh, there's not going to be caravans and caravans of them every single day unless they're literally cutting down the entire forest. So importantly, the 1962 easement did not grant access for general public use. It was not a road that was intended for everyone to use. And keep in mind, they approached this man and said, we'd like, the previous guy, the previous owner, they approached the man and said, we'd like to run an easement across your property. I presume he said, what for? And they said, well, we'd like to be able to get in and out of there for maintenance. You know, we got to get in there and, and do something. And then also for timber harvest, which will be fairly sporadic. Are, are the public are going to be welcomed onto this and, and, and will it become a major thoroughfare? Oh, no, 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 no. Just the two purposes, maintenance and the harvesting. So the man in the story here bought the property. He wasn't enthusiastic to hear that there was an easement with a, a road on his property. But because the easement was restricted, he figured he could live with it. You know something? It's not the worst thing in the world. Unfortunately, things did go sideways. It soon became clear the government was not abiding by the terms of the original agreement. The man says that after the Forest Service posted signs encouraging public use of the road for visitors seeking entry to the National Forest, traffic and parking increased dramatically. Now, people parking on that road would obviously have not been something that qualifies as maintenance by the Forest Service or timbering operations, okay? So why are they parking on the road? And second of all, it wasn't supposed to be open to the public. Not only is the Forest Service allowing it to be used that way, they're encouraging it to be used that way. Then he and his neighbor began having to endure trespassing on their property and even theft. So people are driving by his property out in the middle of nowhere, and they look over and they see cool stuff in his yard or on his porch, and they go, oh, look at that. We can just grab that stuff. So someone stole a pair of elk horns that he'd mounted on his porch, uh, one of his neighbors was uh, had a dog that was killed by somebody speeding down that road. And at one point, somebody shot this man's cat, although the cat survived. And that's important they included that here. So the man himself went and reviewed the easement agreements because it was recorded. And you can read what it says. And so you go read what it says, and it says that Robbins Gulch Road was specifically a right-of-way for limited use, the limits we talked about earlier. So he went and spoke to people at the Forest Service and asked them, would you please take a look at this easement, look at the restrictions, and look at how you guys are, are, are misusing this. He says he has not forgotten the response he got from a district ranger. He crossed his arms, leaned back in his chair, looked at me, and started laughing. He said, you can always sue us. And that's when I said to myself, okay then, I will. So the man didn't lean back in his chair and go, oh really? We're wrong here? How can we make this good? He leans back and laughs and says, you can always sue us. And of course, suing the federal government uh, is David and Goliath. It's, it's you going up against somebody who has, in essence, unlimited resources to fight you compared to what you've got. So the good news is 
the man connected with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Now, I've mentioned the Institute for Justice before, uh, and I've done a bunch of stories uh, about cases they've handled. They do great work. But I have, in my travels, encountered the Pacific Legal Foundation as well, doing great work, stepping in in these cases where they go, okay, this person's fighting for an important right, and they probably can't afford to take on this fight, so we will step in and help them. So he connected with the Pacific Legal Foundation, and they are helping him and his neighbor to defend their property rights, because one of the neighbors also was upset by this to the point where they want to get involved. Now, here's the situation. The Pacific Legal Foundation has actually gotten this case to the Supreme Court after years of litigation trying to stop the Forest Service from abusing the easement, which in effect takes the land without compensation from these people. And, you know, there's a process where the government can try to do that. And they often do do that, where they'll say, oh, uh, you got a piece of land here. We need this for some reason. And, and then they take it from you. But the law says that if they do that, they've got to compensate you for it. And also, they've got to have a reason for doing it. They just can't do it willy-nilly. So let's assume for a moment that this road was a necessity of some sort. Well, the easement doesn't allow for use above and beyond what was described in the easement. So if they're going to use it for anything above and beyond that, they've got to compensate you for it. Okay? But here's the issue. Since the easement is so clear, why would the government need to take more from these people? Uh, are there not already roads going into that state forest? And why do you have to allow people to come in this other way when it crosses over people's property and it's, like I said, an expansion of the easement uh, in, in, in legal terms? So the man says that he's not asking for special treatment. He just wants the government to agree to what they wrote and said they would do. He's simply asking for the government to be held to the same standards that he holds himself to. Now, it is true that he did not enter into the agreement with the government. The previous owner did. But that promise made by the previous owner does follow him because he bought the property along with all the easements and so on. But the important thing here is that this man bought the property and the property showed an easement. And now that somebody wants to misuse that easement, well, when this man bought the property in good faith, he's got the right to say, hey, I, I bought it with an easement and I expect that easement to be there, but no more and no less. So he's not asking him to remove the easement entirely. He's saying, look, the easement's there. They, they, they can use it for that purpose. So like I said, he wants to hold the government to the same standards to which he holds himself. And by the way, the law ought to support him. And, and the law very well could if the Supreme Court takes this case up and, and, and rules in his favor. But the weird part is that if it's this clear cut, which it apparently is, you got to wonder why the government's fighting it so vigorously. Uh, on its face, the case should be a slam dunk. But in litigation against the federal government, there are no guarantees. After all, your adversary is a bureaucracy with an in-house legal team and nearly limitless taxpayer-funded budgets. Moreover, no federal agency likes to admit that they're wrong, so it's safe to say the man has a tough battle ahead, but he's confident about his chances, knowing the government's obligations are spelled out in the plain text of the agreement. He says they just have to be held accountable. 
And by the way, when you go into the Supreme Court against the government, I've joked before about going to, to, to courthouses and standing in front of judges in very, very small towns where I'm not local and my opponent is. And, I, and, and, and in the business, we call it getting hometown because you, you walked into court and, and you don't know why you lost. That's <laughs> because the judge has drinks with the attorney as soon as your hearing is over. And by the way, they want the hearing to end quickly because it's already two o'clock and these guys ain't drunk yet. So when you go into the Supreme Court on a case and you are an attorney representing a client and your opponent is the federal government or a branch thereof and they've got attorneys who work for the government, guess whose hometown that is? And so it shouldn't be that way. And don't get me wrong, I've seen the government lose. They do it all the time. And they still think they have the right to win just because, well, we're here all the time fighting these cases. And so it's a problem, but this really goes back to some bureaucrat who's got his feet up on his desk and is laughing at you saying, well, go ahead, sue us. He doesn't care. It doesn't cost him a penny. And by the way, if that case goes to the U.S. Supreme Court and they lose, go find that same guy and go, dude, I did sue you and I won. He'll go, oh, I don't care. Well, okay. And he'll move on to whatever his next idiotic venture is going to be. He doesn't care. He, he's got no stake in this. And that's the sad part. So that outlook may be old-fashioned that this man wants the government to just simply abide by its agreements. But remember, client here was born 100 years too late. And that's why Jeff McCoy, the attorney, will keep fighting to defend the constitutional rights and, by extension, the rights of others who may be targeted by regulatory agencies. So Jeff McCoy wrote that piece for TheHill.com, and uh, he is an attorney of the Pacific Legal Foundation. They're a nonprofit legal organization that defends Americans' liberties when threatened by government overreach and abuse. So we will continue to follow this case, and um, it's, it's just an interesting one, especially if you look at the way it's postured, because I know people, I know people who, who dreamed of buying a piece of property out in the middle of nowhere. And by the way, there's, there's nowhere in Michigan, too. <laughs> I know people. I, I, I've known several who found a five-acre or ten-acre parcel uh, uh, out in the woods, up north, as we say. And, and to get to their property, you drive down a bumpy dirt road. And I've actually had one say, what, what kind of vehicle are you driving? I'll say, I'm in a Ford Explorer. And I go, okay, probably make it out here, but drive slow. <laughs> And, you know, you, 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 find, you find the little dirt road as it comes out to the pavement. And you get on it and you're rock crawling out there. And you come around the corner and there's a cabin in the woods. And the person walks out and greets you because they heard you coming. It's quiet back there. All you can hear is nature or a babbling brook, perhaps. And you go for a walk in the property. And, you, and you're looking around going, you know something? <laughs> I, could, I could do this. And you, and you understand what that's all about. Now, 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 not everyone has that fantasy. Not everyone does. But I, I've known people who, who've spent their entire lives fantasizing about this. And then one day pulled the trigger and found a piece of property, often in another state, often out west, but, you know, with a view of the mountains or in the mountains. And, and you know, hey, they might not have, you know, a Starbucks within walking distance. They might not. <laughs> They're happy they don't. 
They don't. And so when this guy finds his dream piece of property, and they go, by the way, there's an easement over one side of it for a forest service road that's used by the forest service, and they do maintenance out there. And then also, if there's logging operations, they get to use it too, which, yeah, yeah, logging trucks can be noisy and big, but, you know, how often is that going to happen? Next thing you know, they're encouraging the public. Oh, you want to go to that national forest? Drive here. Go, sure, go right ahead. Drive here, drive here. Then, there, you know, there's people parking on it. Where in the easement does it say, oh, and for the public to park upon? I have a feeling that language is not there. So I'm rooting for this guy. He's the Montana mountain man. He's gone to court to protect his property rights. And Jeff McCoy is one of the lawyers helping him and has written about this to get the word out just to let you know that there are fights like this going on and uh, you should be rooting for him too. You don't have to. <laughs> but deep down, I think many of us are. It's from thehill.com. Steve, Paul, and Nathan all sent that. Thanks a lot. Questions or comments, put them below. Those I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Leto's Law. I stayed in a really old hotel recently. They sent me a wake-up letter.